Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the way. So it was uh, one Saturday in December, I think it was two Christmases ago, uh, our neighbor called us and said, hey, I've, I've got a, I don't know what you call them, a den, a troop of Girl Scouts. Does anybody know what they're called? A herd? I don't think it's a herd. That doesn't sound very nice. Hey, he's, I'm bringing over some Girl Scouts. Can we come, can we come and uh, do Christmas carols at your house tomorrow? We said, yeah, that, that'd be great. And so they, they got there Sunday afternoon. It was getting dark. We had our Christmas lights on. And uh, Karen was so excited about the arrival of these Girl Scouts. She not only met them at the door with a whole bunch of Christmas goodies, but was, was wearing her Girl Scout sash. Uh, and do you know, she has like a lot of badges. Like you look at it and think, how long were you in a Girl Scout? I mean, I didn't, I, something I learned about my wife after all these years. I mean, she's like top of the Girl Scout food chain. And uh, so anyway, they, they sing and they leave. We had a lot of fun there for a few moments. So the next morning, and that's why I'm actually telling this story. <laughs> the next morning, I go out to my uh, mailbox. I'm going to put, put mail in it. And uh, I, I notice there's these three rocks in the flower bed around our mailbox. I, there's, a, there's a picture of it now. And this is a current picture, but I left the rocks there because, no, our house doesn't have flowers blooming in the middle of December. But uh, those three rocks, you see them? They're, they're in a line. They got some, can you tell they're painted? They got some dots on them. So I look at these three rocks in a line with some dots on them, and I instantly, the very first thought out of my mind was, Oh, the Girl Scouts put these here. Now, I don't, I don't know for a fact that the Girl Scouts put them there. I didn't see that. I didn't ask anybody. But I looked at that, and I knew somebody put those there, right? Now, you say, why, why would I have to know somebody? I mean, three rocks outside, that's not a big thing, right? Yeah, but you just put them in a line, and you put a couple of dots on them. I know this is not complex, but a line and some dots... And I instantly think, somebody did that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it would to every thinking person. Nobody's going to look at that and say, oh, that just happened. And yet, here's the crazy thing. If, if I am understanding science, they're kind of teaching us and telling us that we can look at not three rocks, but all of this. You know that next picture. All of that just happened. No, nobody put it there. It it just happened. Now, I'm, I'm very biased to God and the creation story, uh, but I'll, be, I'll tell you what, folks. I think it takes more faith to believe that nothing did that, that it just happened, than it does to believe what I believe. And yet, of course, I'm the one that would be believing in fairy tales. Uh, I think it takes a lot more faith to believe that. Did you know the Bible calls out that kind of faith? It calls out the faith that believes nothing did that. It says it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. You know what clearly perceived means? It means go outside and open your eyes and just look at anything. Literally look at anything for ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, 
They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They are without excuse because there is no excuse for saying nothing did all that. It just happened. There's no excuse for that. Hey, Dress a fool up in science, and he's still a fool. Ooh, gosh, that doesn't sound very nice, does it? Y'all, nobody tweet that, okay? At least not with my name. No, no. No, no. Hey, let me back up a little bit. Let me back up on that a little bit. I don't think science is an enemy. I don't think scientists are an enemy. I don't think there's a big conspiracy of science against Christians or science uh, against the Bible. I don't think all scientists are, are lying. Uh, I do think they have been profoundly trained to look at the information, to look at the evidence one way. One way. And if you step out of that way, you'll pay for it dearly. I mean, like literally today, if you step out of the way we say to look at the evidence, which is odd because I thought the whole concept of science was to be skeptical. To never stop asking questions. But you step out of the way. You can't teach. You can't publish. No chance of getting any kind of money for any kind of research. So there is a great pressure. And guess what? Scientists are just like you and me. I like to be liked. I don't like people to think I'm stupid. I want to get along. For the most part, I I, want to get along. And and so they, they do. You know, I don't think science, let, let's rise above scientists for a moment and just say science. Hey, man, we need science, right? Hey, the, the Bible doesn't tell me how to fix a broken leg or cure cancer. The Bible doesn't tell me how to build a bridge. doesn't tell me how to, how to build a computer. So I, I get, and I, you know, I hear, it's usually Christians that make this statement, or, or at least people that are, are calling themselves Christians, that, that the purpose of the Bible is not science, now, there's a, there's a degree to which I can agree that, that the purpose of the Bible is not science. But that doesn't mean that if the Bible ventures into science, that it's automatically wrong, that it, that it can't actually be teaching us anything. Remember, when we open Genesis 1, which we're about to, when we open Genesis 1, we're not reading Moses's uneducated, a little bit superstitious, a little bit religious and spiritual, pre-science account of how things got here. We're reading God's account of how things got here. And I think God is smarter than the scientist. I think he was there when it happened. And so I think we can humble ourselves and let him speak. So let's let him speak. Turn with me this morning to the easiest passage in the Bible to find. Page 1, Genesis chapter 1. Turn there in your Bible or or Bible app. I'm going to read this whole chapter, so get comfortable. Gosh, it seems like I've been doing that a lot lately this year. Have you all noticed that? Every passage I read is a, a, a long one. So I don't know if it's the year of long passages or just what. But here we are, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness 
God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven or sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which there is seed, each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser night to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and and creeping things and beasts on the earth according to their kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. And all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Man, there's a lot there. 
We, we could not just spend one Sunday. We could spend a lot of Sundays unwrapping all this. Gosh, I think of what, what we're looking at in just the first four words. In the beginning, God. That would seem to raise up a lot of very natural and normal questions. Wait a minute, what beginning? The beginning of like all things, the beginning of earth and our solar system. I mean, just what beginning are we talking about? And then it says God. Well, is God the beginning? Was that God's beginning? Does God have a beginning? Was there something before God? How did God get here? All kinds of questions that would seem very normal to answer. You know, oddly enough, Moses didn't ask any of those questions. When he presented Genesis to the, to the people of God, the Israelites, those original, those first readers, they wouldn't have asked that question because they already knew the answers. Now, while Genesis 1 is page 1, right? We're, we're starting. This is, we're meeting God. We're meeting this God who creates. But, but for Moses and for the Israelites, they, they'd already met him. We, we go to like Exodus chapter 3 where God meets uh, Moses in the burning bush at Mount Sinai, and potentially, based on a passage in the New Testament, that was not actually Moses' first meeting. It may have been his second meeting, but nonetheless, he has met God. And what does God tell him at the burning bush? You're going to deliver my people out of Egypt. Go get them. And he says, well, Lord, when I get there, there you, you know, somebody's going to ask who sent me. Somebody's going to say, what's your name? What do I tell them? And God says, Yahweh. You tell them, Yahweh sent you. I am. I think you and I can read right by that. Not a whole lot to be understood about I am. Yet in the Hebrew and what God is communicating there, there is a profound lot. When he says I am, he's introducing himself to Moses as the self-existing one, the uncaused cause. Wherever you go in time and space, I am. No matter how far back you go in the future, there's God in the present. No matter how far forward, or I said future, that's the past. <laughs> no matter how far forward you go in the future, there's God as the present. Wherever he is in time and space, he's I am. Outside of time and space, he's I am. So Moses wouldn't have asked, now wait a minute, God, was this your beginning? They've already know that simply by his name, Yahweh I am. Now, the scripture here tells us that God's not, not alone. There is a formlessness. There is a void. Now, I don't know about you, but I read those words, and to me, it just kind of says there's God, and then there's nothing. But here again, the original readers would not have looked at those words and thought that that nothing was nothing. They would have thought that nothing was something. And it wasn't a good something, it wasn't a neutral something, it was a bad something. What's being referred to, here, referred to here is chaos and darkness. So it seemed normal to ask a question, why? Why is there this chaos and this darkness? And as we read Genesis 1, it doesn't appear that it is the purpose of Genesis 1 to give us that information. But as we get further along in Scripture we see some things that read back into this moment. For example, Ezekiel 28, where we read about the fall of Satan. Before the creation of the world, before the creation of you and me, the angelic realm was created. At some point, Satan rebelled against God, rebelled against that realm. And we can go all the way to the end of the Bible, Revelation, and learn that about a third of the angelic realm followed Satan. 
And so Satan and this, and this realm of angels that rebelled against God were removed, dismissed. You can go now from the presence of God, from the realm of God. And guess where they went? To their own realm where there is darkness and chaos. There's a lot being taught right here. And there's a whole lot going on. Wherever Satan goes, darkness and chaos is what he brings. Now, that's not what he dangles in front of us, is it? No, he dangles shiny objects. He dangles things that give me power, that give me pleasure, that help me get even, that help me get my way, that help me get more. He dangles some wonderful things in front of us. But every step I take towards Satan and his ways is going to be a step toward darkness and chaos. Because that's who he is. That's what he brings. Notice where God is now. He's hovering The Spirit of God is hovering over this darkness and chaos. Folks, there's no power outside of God's power. There's no rebellion that he's not in control of. There's no rebellion that will not end up serving his purposes. So he's showing you and me today, hey, what you get with Satan, and we're going to meet him a little closer in Genesis 3, but what you get with Satan is darkness and chaos. But I can move anywhere. I can move into that darkness and chaos, and I can bring light. I can bring order. I can bring life. I can bring purpose. What God is showing immediately here is an incredible sovereign power. You know, we, we, in our world, we call kings and queens. Sometimes we refer to them as sovereigns. You know what I'm talking about? You know they're not. I mean, they may be, you know, up there top of the food chain, but they're They're not sovereign. Sovereign is an independent power, not dependent on anything. And every king or queen I've ever seen, they they needed some kind of army to protect their power. They needed the taxes or some kind of feudal system to make sure everything stayed theirs. They were dependent on someone, on something else. God is not dependent on anything. Not for energy, not for power, not for wisdom, not for for counsel, not for resources. There's no place he is dependent. He literally can just speak. He didn't have to run to the storeroom to create what he was going to create the next day. He literally just spoke. When he rests, and we'll talk about this a little more next week, because um, you and I hear the word rest, and we, you know, we think of being tired, right? I mean, he rested. Hey, hey she, I, mean, I just created the whole universe. Just give me, give me a minute. Okay, that's not what he's saying. That's not what the Sabbath is about. It's about celebration. But we'll get to that a, a little bit, a little bit later. So, so God is completely sovereign. And that's what he's communicating. He's not just creating. He's moving right into the realm of the rebellion against him and saying to his future creation, you and me, watch this. Okay? You're going to be tempted by this, but it ultimately does not speak. It ultimately has no no power. And so God, the great I am, says, let there be and there was. And he brought light. Yeah, a physical, a physical light. And there's a, a physical darkness. But God put a border between them. I believe those original readers would have thought, hey, there's more going on here than, than a physical light and a, and a physical darkness. That, that border is saying, God, God is saying, I define what is light. I define what is dark. I define what is good. I define what is evil. And I put the border there. Again, communicating his sovereign power. 
So we're start off and we're told that everything is formless, without form, and void. It's empty. Look at what the first three days of creation do. They bring form to the formlessness. There's light, there's dark, there's sky, there's sea, and now in the sea there is land. There's border, there's definition. Where there's formlessness, where there's no truth, God shapes and God puts the truth there. The next three days of creation address the emptiness. And what does God do? And now the form that he has, he fills it up with stuff. But it's not just stuff. Man, everything he creates has a purpose. There's a reason for it being there because God's not random. You and I can have some random moments. You and I can have some random thoughts. Don't know where that came from and there it goes. God's not random. He doesn't have random thoughts. He doesn't have random ideas. He doesn't do things randomly. Everything he does has meaning and has purpose. And so he's creating the the lights in the sky and how that's going to shape and govern the earth and putting all this there. And then he gets to a really special part of creation, humans, humanity. We're not necessarily special because we're more populated than everything else on the earth because we're not. We're not necessarily special because we're faster than everything else on the earth because we're not. We're we're not necessarily uh, got more resources than everything else on the earth because we're not. I would say maybe we're smarter, but I'm not sure everybody would even agree with that. Maybe there's an animal out there smarter than that. No, what makes us special is not that we're more or better from something else in creation. What makes us special is we were created in the image of God. We were created in his likeness. Now, in a a simple way, that means we're going to reflect his glory in a special way. Now, you know, all of creation can reflect God's glory. That's what Romans chapter 1 that I quoted a moment ago was saying. Psalm 19 would be a, a great psalm teaching that all of creation is reflecting God's glory. What what does that mean, that it's reflecting God's glory? Well, you know, for me, I look at all the birds, I look at all the fish, and I think, man, my God's an artist. Look at all these colors. Look at all this design. Uh, What an artist he is. I look at the expansiveness of our our universe, which is incomprehensible, really. I mean, even as we measure it, we we can't quite get... I, I remember what sermon it was. It seems like it was recent, you know, probably last year. I don't remember what day it was. They found something new. That's a bazillion light years out there, right? You get those announcements, everything. We just found another something or another, a black hole, a a star, whatever. And I literally had the thought, you know, okay, we get it, God. It's big. You know, I mean, how much further does it need to go? How much further does it need to be? And yet, isn't that teaching us something? You, you don't ever get to the end. There's never a place where I go, okay, we're finished. That's everything about God. What do y'all want to talk about next? We don't ever get to that place. He is, he is incomprehensible. He is transcendent is, is his attribute. He is above all this. And the expanse of his knowledge, the expanse of his power, the expanse of his goodness, well, it's like his universe. You don't ever get to the end of it. The size of the universe is actually communicating something really important. And yet, so now here's the really crazy thing. The bigger something gets, a little bit more fudge factor you have, right? I mean, if I've got a gazillion dollars, what difference does it make if I lose a dime? Ah, but what do we see in this massive universe that we can barely grasp? 
We look inside our solar system and we see the absolute precision that things are put in place and run by. I mean, distance changes by the smallest, not light years, not millions of miles. Distance is changed by the smallest amount and there's no life here. Chemicals in the air, in the dirt, in the water, in our atmosphere, you change any of those chemicals by the smallest amount and we don't exist. There's no life. So so all this massiveness, and yet with incredible precision. And we're talking about this massive universe. You saw one of the pictures I threw up, had the universe or outer space there. But did you notice what else was there? DNA. You know what DNA is? It's a massive universe inside a cell. The, The volume of information being communicated there, it's a little bit like measuring the light years. It just goes on and on and on what this can do. So I look at all this and I think, man, my God's a physicist. You know, my my God's a biologist. My my God is an engineer. My God is is an architect. See, all these things reveal something about the glory and the greatness of our God. But we do something entirely different from all that. Now, I'm going to unwrap in a future sermon a little bit more of what it means to be created in the image of God. But one profound way is we make choices. We have a free will. The rest of creation does not make choices like we do. Now, I know your dog and I know Disney have, you know, we know our dog's making these incredible precious choices. I I, I get it. I'm I'm shaped the same way y'all are. But uh, their choices are pretty simple in nature and line up right in line with their instinct. They're, They're doing what they were designed to do. Did you know that you and I can actually choose to operate outside of our design and break ourselves and break everything in the process and then go back and choose to do it again? Do you know no other part of creation does that? I almost want to say there are no other part of creation that stupid. But we can. I mean, that's a part of what does it mean to be created in the image of God? I have a free will, and I can choose between good and evil. I can choose God. I can reject God. I can choose my design. I can reject my design. And, and we do that. And I'm not talking about a current thing going on in our culture and world today. I'm talking about what every single one of us does. Has to, Gosh, maybe this week. We live outside of how we were designed, break things in the process, break others, and and break ourselves. And we make that choice. Now, I said we had a free will and we could make that choice. I didn't say there wasn't consequences for it. No other part of creation does this, can do this. And in this position, God says, I'm giving you dominion, another God quality, another way we can be like God. There's ways we can be like God and there's ways we can't be like God. I can't be like God in being infinite because I'll never be infinite. I'll always be finite. I can't be like God in being eternal. I will one day go eternally forward, but I can never go eternally backwards, only God Only God can do that. But you know what I can do like God? I can love like God. I I can make choices according to my God. So you see, there are things we can't do like him, but in his image, there are things that we can do and we can be like him and will be judged accordingly in that dominion, in that rule that we have. 
You know, you, it, it, it's amazing. We, we can just go on and on and on and on in Genesis 1. There's so much to grasp here. Kind of to wrap up, I, I want to focus on one word. Just for a moment, I want to focus on one word. And that's the word yom. Y-O-M, that's a Hebrew word that means D-A-Y, day. Okay? Interesting thing, because sometimes a word in one language will have kind of the same meaning of this English word. That's why it gets put there. But then it also maybe have completely different meanings. In Hebrew and English, the word day is incredibly similar. And what I mean by that is when they saw the word yom or we see the word day, almost every time we see that, we're looking at a 24-hour time period, right? Almost every time. That's how the word is going to be interpreted. That w- that's what it's going to mean. But the English word, as does the Hebrew word day, has another meaning. It can mean an age. It, it can mean a period of time. And usually when I'm reading the context, right, I'm going to somewhere figure out, hey, wait a minute, this isn't a 24-hour day. This is an age. You know, an interesting phrase that's used a lot in the Bible, the day of the Lord. You know, we, we read that, we think about the return of Jesus, we, we think of God's judgment coming on this earth, we talk about the day of the Lord, and man, there's a, a lot of passages when you read that, boy, it sounds just like that. It is a moment, it is a moment in time, it is a day that Jesus returns and this judgment comes. And that is accurate. It is accurate to think of as a 24-hour time period. But then there's other passages where we zoom in on that word day, passages like the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. We zoom in on that day and we go, oh my gosh, this day is seven years long. And it begins with this event and it ends with this event. And there's a massive amount of events going on in between. And so we realize there, hey, the day of the Lord is, is actually an age. And so there are some, and again, usually people calling themselves Christians, usually people who on some level read the Bible, will look at Genesis 1 and say, hey, maybe, maybe day here is meant to be an age. And you know, don't we kind of want it to be an age? Again, like I said, folks, I don't want people to think I'm stupid. And I don't want to be just flying in the face of what is often presented as obvious evidence and look like I just don't know what's, what's going on. And so wouldn't it be easier if we could say some of these days were like a billion years or 10 billion years? I mean, it, it just feels like we'd be going along with science a little bit better there. So does Genesis 1, does that word yom allow me to interpret that as an age? And I'm going to say, no, it does not. God does not allow us to leave Genesis 1 interpreting that day as an age. There are a number of reasons. Let me give you three. Number one, every time the Hebrew word yom is used in the Bible and outside of the Bible, anywhere in the Hebrew language, the word yom is used with a number, it is always communicated as a 24-hour time period. It's never referred to as an age and then a number attached to it. So if God meant for us to understand this was an age, then God just used the language, the grammar, in a way that a lot of people are going to miss it. He he would be a little bit miscommunicating right there. So that reason, that's not how the word is interpreted when it's with a number. Also in this chapter, you've got a day and a, a night, well, night is never interpreted as an age, not, not anywhere. 
So what, am I to, if, if day was an age, am I to understand, okay, here's day one, it was five billion years long, and then a night, it was 12 hours. And then here's day two, another day, and it's 10 billion years long, and then there's night, 12 hours. And if it's not just day and night, it keeps saying morning and evening. Well, couldn't that just be poetic? Well, sure it could. But folks, language follows rules. And this isn't written as a poem. It's not written to be poetic. It's written as a narrative. It's written as didactic, as teaching material. And so you have over and over the clear communication of a day. I believe, doesn't mean popular science, that when God gave us Genesis 1, he intended you and I to walk away and believe that he did this in six days. One last reason, we're going to look at this next week. The Sabbath, the whole concept of the Sabbath, the whole understanding of its impact on our creation, my physical, spiritual, mental, relational well-being is set on a seven-day understanding. So God said, okay, this really took billions of years because days to be interpreted as age, but now that I'm done with that, from here on out, I want you to understand it as seven days and observe this Sabbath Again, that's not good communicating. So it, it just, folks, the Sabbath is all through the Bible. For, for thousands of years beyond this, they're going to understand. And let's not look back at the past and assume they were all stupid and didn't know what they were doing. You know, they built the pyramids. That's pretty impressive. We, you know, we were there, a number of us were just there. We went and toured a city called Masada. It is a a, a city on top of a hill out in the desert. They were going there to flee the Romans. This is a place that gets two or three inches of rain a year. And they not only built a water system up there that could survive, they got enough water from a desert that gets two to three inches of rain a year. They got enough water to build a sauna. Now, when you're building a sauna, you're saying, we're good. We got plenty of water. Okay, so it just wasn't all dum-dums back there. They asked questions. They asked why. They actually had a good level of intelligence on some things. So we we can't assume God's going to communicate this, and they're not asking questions. He meant for us to understand a six-day, six days of creation in a seven-day cycle. So what we're going to do next week, we're going to come back, we're going to look at the Sabbath. Remember, I made the comment last week. Every problem on this planet, individual, family, cultural, social, national, every problem we've ever had, every problem we have right now, you can draw a direct line back to something in Genesis, a starting point, a foundation that we've walked away from, rebelled, and rejected. And a, a big part of that, folks, when we talk about our health, think how much... Mental health is on front and center of our world today, okay? God had an answer for that. God gave us an answer for that, and we walked away from it. So we're going to understand Sabbath next week. You'll be surprised to know that my message is not, you better go to church. That's not all that's happening with the Sabbath. That's not all that that is about. The next half week after that, we're going to come back. We're going to go back to Genesis 127, and we're going to unwrap that, what it means to be created in the image of God and the identity that we receive from that, the identity and purpose that we have in that. And then we'll come back and we'll look at marriage, not just the first marriage. We're going to look at where God puts that in Revelation. 
where God puts that in the things that he wants us to know and what he is communicating about that. So that's, that's the next three weeks, okay, as we get this big overview today. That, that's where we're going to be going. Folks, as we leave today, man, just think about that concept. God spoke. You know, how do we, how do we fathom the whole light year thing? Because, I mean, we can measure the speed of light. We, we do know how fast it goes, we do know what a light year looks like. So if something's a bazillion years out there, then how do we understand time without understanding that amount? I would assume, notice I said assumption. I wasn't there. I can't measure this. I don't know for sure. But I assume that when God said, let there be light, the power in that spoken word was so profound that immediately the light of everything was there. Now, God's the one, I believe, that put all natural laws in order, the speed of light, gravity, and everything. But instantly, that light from a billion light years was there for, for an Adam and an Eve to see and all the others that will, will come after. We, we can measure a lot of things. What we can't measure is the infinite power of God. What an incredible word. What an incre- He just speaks. What a reason for us to worship him. And yet, uh, yet, folks, look what we've done. Instead of worshiping the, the creator, we worship the created. That's what we've done. When I say we, humanity, we've, we've worshiped the S-U-N, sun. We've worshiped the river. We've worshiped animals. We worship sex. We worship sons. When I say worship, I don't mean just we sing songs to it. But we look at that object, that person, that thing. We look at that. That's the source of life. That's the source of my happiness and well-being. That, that's the answer. It's worth my sacrifice. It's worth being the most important thing in my life. And, of course, the number one thing we deal with making God is the mirror. We look at ourselves and say, I am God. Now, when I say them, I doubt anybody in here has ever looked at the mirror and said, you're God. And a darn good-looking one, too. I, I doubt anybody, but you know what we do say? I can do whatever I want. I don't, I don't need anybody telling me what I can and, not, can and can't do. I don't tell anybody telling me how to understand life and understand myself. Hey, my feelings are the code for life. My feelings, uh, yeah, they may change tomorrow, but right now they are truth. You see, we, we, we do view ourselves as God-like. And you know what Genesis chapter 1 is? Genesis chapter 1 is one page that looks at all the gods we've had and says, no, 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 especially no over there. <laughs> no, 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 none of this is God. Oh, that we would worship our creator, just his spoken word, and we'll never get over researching, understanding, measuring, plumbing the depths of what he just spoke into existence. Now understand, as we get that from Genesis 1, the Israelites would have been thinking, oh, that's the same word that said, there's one God. Worship him alone. That's the, that's the same word that said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not murder. And of course, the gospel of John comes along and adds a little bit more to an understanding of the word. 
when he says, in the beginning was the word, that word, that power that put everything here. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And John tells us there's a name for that word. Jesus. Everything was created by and for and through Jesus. And that's why I would listen to him. Possibly obey him, trust him, worship him. I think good science would say, don't be a fool. Worship Jesus as your creator. Let's pray. Father, thank you for for letting us know. Gosh, you've made us smart, Lord. You really have. We really can understand a lot of things, see a lot of things, and Boy, our information, it's coming faster and faster, and it's getting broader and broader, and yet it never moves beyond you. It never moves to a place that it's more than you, more than who you are, more than what you have done. Lord, I pray that as we move through this week and we think about what we're seeing and enjoying, what we're looking at, and we realize you just spoke that into existence. As we're in awe of that power, I pray we would be in awe of your spoken word in the Bible and that we would trust and we would obey and we would follow. I thank you for the revelation of your word that Jesus is not only my creator, but he is my savior. Because I do reject you. I do reject your ways. I do think I know best in a multitude of moments. I believe I have the power to decide to go ahead and lie, to go ahead and steal, to get hurt. Lord, just like Satan, I so far separate myself from you and create a world, perhaps in my own heart and mind, of of darkness and chaos. And I thank you that not only did you create me, but you loved me. And you didn't leave me in that darkness and chaos, but you sent your son into this world, not only to get me back, but to pay the penalty for my sin. Lord, I pray that I would be ever growing in love with the spoken word of Jesus and his power in my life, in our lives. Lord, if there's any here today, who've never entered a relationship with you. Oh, I pray the day would be the day they take that step of faith and receive their creator and their savior as their creator and their savior. And Lord, for so, so many of us, I assume the vast majority of us in here who have received Jesus, oh Lord, may we have no greater purpose this week than to think in every decision we make and everything we're doing, how we not only reflect your glory, but live like you would in that moment. Make the choices you've designed for us to make. I ask for the faith and the help and the strength to do that, Holy Spirit. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.